0: you were here last week, you remember me using the lyrics of that last song that we sang, The Blood of Jesus Speaks for Me, and I inadvertently called out our worship team and said that they can't sing it. I didn't really say that, I just said it's a very difficult song to sing, and um, there were a few of you that said, just put it on the schedule, the Lord will provide. I think he did that. I think they did a wonderful job, uh, and it's such a powerful song, it just refreshes my heart to know that it is only the blood of Jesus that speaks for me, and I hope it was refreshing for you as well. So thank you, team, for doing that. Today we're going to continue on in our study of Genesis. We are going to look at Genesis chapter 25 and 26. So last week, we, um, we recognized some wonderful things about God, not just being, so we, let's take you on a journey here. We started with God as the provider, but then God is the supplier, and now today, He doesn't just supply our needs, we see that God is actually generous And he is generous with more than what we need, many blessings. So you can think of the word blessings today. You can think of the word of abundance today, because that's what we're looking at, that God is not just someone who meets the bare minimum requirements of our day-to-day. He actually goes above and beyond what we could ever imagine, and he blesses us in generosity. That word generous is a really difficult word to define. Um, It means, on one hand, having the readiness— to give more of something than is required. But there's deeper meaning behind that. We actually find the word generosity in its definition linked to different words like mercy and grace and kindness. So generosity is more than just an abundance or an excess of something. It is thoughtfulness in mind, in heart, and in action toward others. It's selfless is what we're looking at. Another definition says that it's the giving of something of value to someone. But value is so difficult to gauge because each person places value on things differently. A $5 bill to a small child is extremely valuable. But to an adult, you might say, that $5 is considerably less valuable, even though the value is still $5. So there's more than just a stamp of actual currency or value on something. It kind of depends on the giver of how much they value it, how much the receiver values it. So that's why generosity is such a hard thing to specifically define. You see, Attitude comes into play, too, because if we are negative or greedy or selfish, then the things that we see in front of us that could be viewed as generous or having value suddenly lose all their value because maybe our attitude is poor. Maybe we wished there would have been more, right? When you offer a child a cookie, don't they want two? So they don't value maybe as much as they should, and we get caught into that, too which makes generosity really difficult to define. But if we try to make up or combine definitions, here's what we find. Generosity is something of value to both parties and is more than is required. It's given out of sacrifice, kindness, and love. Generosity is an act of gracious self-giving. How many of you have gotten a bouquet of dandelions from a child? Yeah, Raise your hand. I want to see this because I think it's a lot of people. Yeah, thank you. Aren't the kids so excited to give that to you? Every time they do it, over and over, right? It's like every time they go outside, you get a brand new bouquet of dandelions. But to that child, do you know what they just saw? They went outside and they saw a field of flowers, They don't recognize that they're weeds and you're trying to get them out of your lawn. They see flowers. And what's the first thing that they think of when they see flowers? They think of you. They pick those flowers and they go, nothing else matters. I'm going to give this to the person that I love. And they give you a bouquet of flowers. Do those dandelions have value? Or are they weeds? Was that child generous to stop everything that they could have been doing and say, I can't wait to pick these and give them to the one that I love? Do you see the value that's in those dandelions, even though maybe your perspective is, great, I'd just throw the ones away that are rotting from yesterday and I'll put new ones in their place. That's why generosity is so difficult. It takes the recognition of someone else's actions and their heart to say, Wow. What a valuable gift. What a valuable action they just gave. We're going to see today that God acts the same way towards mankind. By his very nature, he is graciously giving things of value to us. Things above what is required to mankind. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 25. We're not going to read chapter 25. We're only going to read a few verses from chapter 26. So let me summarize. We see in Genesis 25, the first 18 verses, we see Abraham's death. After Sarah died, Abraham took another wife, and he had many more children. You understand that Abraham and Sarah struggled to have children. And we read right away in 25 that God continued to be generous in the life of Abraham and gave him even more children, more descendants, because he promised him he was going to have many descendants. And so we see God as a generous God continuing to bless Abraham with many descendants. Upon Abraham's death at 175 years old, Isaac and Ishmael came together to bury him with Sarah. We can see this as another generous act of God because Ishmael was bound to live in adversity with everyone, even his brothers, and so there was tension there. And a lot of times we see a family death actually cause more tension in the family because we're battling over assets. We're battling over this and that and everyone's wishes. But what we see here is God is generous. And he says, during this time at a family mourning, at a funeral, I'm going to bring Ishmael, who is bound to live in adversity, and bring him home to meet with Isaac, and they peacefully, lovingly bury their father. We then see in Genesis tw- uh, 25, verses 12 through 18, yet another genealogy, but this one is of Ishmael. And you may remember back when we studied earlier in Genesis that God promised Ishmael would have many descendants too. And so this genealogy yet again points us to a generous God who is always fulfilling his promises because we see many people in the family of Ishmael, just like God promised. We then move into verse 19 through 28 of Genesis 25 and we see the story of Jacob and Esau. You see, Rebekah gave birth to Jacob and Esau and we actually read that, okay, so they were twins. Esau came out first. He was red and hairy. What a description, huh? He was red and hairy and then Jacob came out second and he was actually holding the heel of Esau. But upon growing up, we would find out the men that they would become. Esau became a skilled hunter and a man of the field, and he was favored by Isaac. We see that Jacob grew up to be quiet, more of a homebody, a dweller of intents, and he was favored by Rebecca. You see, parents have favorites. We don't. Like, no one in here has a favorite child. I know that. Hi, Sully. Um, No, just kidding. No one in here has a favorite. My kids are going to kill me later. We see that, that each child was favored. They had their preference. I love the hunting that, that Esau provides, and so he was favored by Isaac. Um, but that's another point. But we see this in Scripture, and it's going to flesh out later in their lives of which child they kind of favor. I don't want to say prefer, but favor. Scripture points that out. But a few things to notice from verses 19 through 28. You notice in verse 21 that Rebekah was barren. And Isaac went to the Lord and he said, I want children. I know your promise. So he prayed to the Lord for his wife. And notice what it says later. It says the Lord granted his prayer. There's no gap in that. It says he prayed to the Lord for his wife and the Lord answered his prayer or granted his prayer and Rebekah conceived. Now, Isaac's response to this was quite different than Abraham's. Abraham took matters into his own hand, didn't he? He went and found someone to conceive for him because his wife couldn't. Isaac's response to his wife being barren is to go directly to the Lord and say, I know the plans that you have. Would you make this happen? God is the one who's generous. God is the one who supplies for his plan. He provides everything that is needed. And Isaac goes to the Lord knowing his promise, knowing that God is kind and generous. And not only did she conceive, she had twins, God giving more and more than he has to. He doesn't have to give anything, but he prayed for children. And instead of one, God gives two. And it caused a stir inside her that was unfamiliar. She didn't know what was going on. And so she also went to the Lord. And he, he details what's happening. He says, there are two nations inside of you. And the younger, Jacob, will serve The older Esau. Romans 9 tells us that the twins had done nothing, either good or bad, to prefer Jacob over Esau. This is purely a statement of God's sovereignty and election. Because we know that God is right, that he is perfect, he is not chaotic, he never messes things up, we can trust that his preference, if you will, or his election of Jacob over Esau is perfect. It's not a statement of God's love more for one than the other. It's purely God's sovereignty in choosing how to flesh out his plan. Now, I want you to take a look at verses 20 and 26 together. It says Isaac's age when he married Rebekah was 40. We don't see a gap in how quickly he started to pray for children But we can assume that it wasn't a long time after marriage. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. They were all about in that culture having children right away. But look at verse 26. It says he was 60 years old when she gave birth. But don't you remember earlier in this passage it said that he prayed to the Lord and the Lord granted his prayer like it was immediate. Twenty years have gone by. They didn't take their eyes off of the generosity of God. They didn't stop praying for him to provide for his plan with children. So either Rebecca was pregnant for 20 years or they were faithful in their prayers over and over and over to God, never straying from his plan. Isaac never went and found a different wife. He knew that God is the one who supplies and does it generously the Lord granted his prayer in a generous way. Yesterday when we were out at One Fest, the music festival, the Christian music festival, there was an artist who said this, trust his heart when you can't see his hand working. Trust his heart, God's heart, when you can't see his hand at work. For 20 years, Isaac and Rebecca didn't see the hand of God at work in their life in regards to children. But they trusted his heart that he was a God who provides, that he has a plan, that he's never going to let that plan go unnoticed or unfulfilled. And they trusted his heart. That's part of the reason we're studying this wonderful creator, God, in this Genesis series. Is because all the circumstances in life can distract us, can overshadow things, because we like to see action. But sometimes when action isn't there, what do you do? Do it for yourself. You get distracted instead of trusting the heart of the creator who supplies everything. And he is so generous. He loves us. We move into the end of chapter 25, and we see this birthright that's given to Jacob and Esau, specifically to Esau. And we see that Jacob, later in life, they have grown up. He was cooking, and Esau was hungry. So remember, Jacob is kind of a homebody. Esau is a skilled hunter, and he works outside. So he comes in, he is famished. He demanded food when he came inside and Jacob took advantage of this hunger and he got Esau to agree to give up his birthright. See, this was a man-made practice that you appoint your firstborn as the one who gets the birthright. This this wasn't like a God-ordained thing. Man did it because it honored the firstborn. And Jacob said, I'm gonna find a loophole here. So he took advantage of Esau's hunger. And Esau agrees. I'll give you my birthright. He actually says, what good is a birthright? I'm basically dead. Now, this could be an emotional reaction to hunger. Anyone ever had an emotional reaction to hunger? Right? Yeah. You start the diet, and you're like, I got this, right? I am going to do this diet thing, and then two hours later, someone's eating a cookie, and you're like, I'm done. I'm basically dead. I might as well eat the cookie, right? Right? We don't know if Esau's reaction was purely from hunger. Like, I'm so hungry and no one's going to feed me. What good is the birthright? I'm basically starving to death. Or if he just completely dismissed the importance of the inheritance. We know that he dismissed the importance of the inheritance because he gave it away. And it says he actually despised the inheritance. He had no forward thinking. He didn't care about what was promised. He didn't care about God's plan. He said, I'm just giving it up. R.C. Sproul says this about these two. Esau is a profane, rough-and-ready man of the field who short-sightedly gratifies his appetite and despises the family's future inheritance. But despite his dishonesty, Jacob has farsightedness to value the inheritance. It's not giving credit to him that he did the right thing in tricking his brother. They were both wrong. But we see that Jacob took to heart the promise of God. And he was looking to the future and he said, I want to be the one. I want to be part of God's plan. So Esau gives up his birthright. It's the end of chapter 25. I want to focus on the first five verses of Genesis chapter 26 where we see the promise now that we've seen many times given to Abraham, now given to Isaac. I want to read to you those verses one through five. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. I hope you recognize in that promise the great generosity of our God. You see, we see this promise repeated over and over because man is forgetful. We forget that God is always providing. He is always looking out for us. We are always on his mind because we are part of his plan. So we see the generosity of God in verse 2 where he even appears to mankind. He appears to him and then he guides him We don't deserve God to be right in front of us, giving us any sort of guidance. We constantly turn our back on him. We constantly are doing our own selfless deeds. We keep saying with our actions, maybe even with our words, that we don't need God because we've got it all figured out. But yet God, as a generous God, appears to man and he guides him. But then look at all of the I will statements that we read in just those few verses. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will give you these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham. I will multiply your offspring. I will give them all these lands. I will make all the nations of the earth blessed through you. That is God himself reaching down into sinful mankind and saying, look At the list of things that I will do. And it's not because God is bound to serve us. It's not because God is bound in any way to make a display for someone to say, oh, yeah, he really is worthy. He is by his nature worthy. He is generous with his love. And he reaches into the very life of mankind and he says, I'm going to do all these things because I love to be generous. That's the God that we serve. What I've noticed for myself is that I don't recognize something in its fullest unless I am really watching for it, unless I'm really paying attention. You could ask my wife when she asked me to look for something, right? It's like, oh, no, it's not here. I don't know. It's gone, right? It's how men look typically if we're stereotypical about it. But I, in, in the events of the Lord and how He's working in my life, it's so easy to hit autopilot and not recognize how he truly is blessing you, how he is truly reaching into your life and guiding you and appearing to you and taking care of you. And so I have to really stop and recognize. I have to recognize the value of things. I mentioned earlier how it's so easy to lose the value and say, oh, that dandelion is just a weed. And then we're on autopilot unless we stop ourselves and we say, no, that's a That's a real sacrificial gift from someone who loves me. And I have to stop myself. It can be really true with God's characteristics, too. I get caught up in the daily grind of things that I forget that it is God, a generous God, filled with steadfast love for me. That this is a great opportunity for me to reflect. You see, it helps me if I remind myself of the nature of God, so that I know his heart when I can't see his hand. He's set apart. He is superior. He gave mankind everything needed to survive and to thrive. And even after mankind continually has turned away and hasn't trusted him, he gave more and more without any obligation to do so. He is so generous, and he is inclined to show us his generous love. And so today I want to briefly look through some Recapping statements of what we've learned in Genesis so far, including today's story, very briefly, of God's generous love. You see, at the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of Genesis, our study showed us that God created And in the very fact that God created, that creation is an expression of God's generous love. We can observe everything and how it worked together perfectly of how he he made mankind to be able to thrive in abundance with every opportunity. What a generous God to give us such a setting to do that. And then he tells us that creation was good. It wasn't mediocre. It wasn't poor. It was good for our behalf to be able to look and see the generous God who by his very creation proved that he is generous to us. And mankind is supposed to recognize that, supposed to see that God is good and generous and spread that to all people. So creation is an expression of God's generous love. But then life itself is an expression of God's generous love. When, we, when the lens we view the world through is through the nature of God, then we see each and every breath of every animal, of ourselves, as a generous gift from God. Because he owes us nothing, but yet he breathed life into his creation. And he said, now go in abundance and thrive And so right now, however many breaths you've taken, is how many times you can be thankful for just that one topic alone since you walked in here. Are we thankful for the generous God who breathes life in every moment of us? But after he breathed life into mankind, we turned our backs. But yet he continued to offer life. Even though mankind, however many millions of them, turned their back and there were only eight of them left, who were faithful to him, he hit the reset button and he flooded the earth. And you might think, that's a terrible thing. How is that generous? It's generous because he still provided life to those eight so that we could be here right now. That is a generous God. Not one who acts quickly out of anger, but one who is careful and intentional and generous in everything that he does. So life itself is an expression of generous love. And we saw that when Abraham put Isaac on the altar. And Abraham was prepared. He basically was saying goodbye and had, had declared that it was the end for Isaac. But God breathed life into Isaac once again. Now, Isaac didn't die. I say breathe life again because it was basically in Abraham's mind, this is the end. So when God said, no, don't sacrifice him, it was like a brand new start and Abraham was thankful for that life and Isaac was thankful for that life. Life is an expression of God's generous love. We then saw in Genesis that God made a covenant with Abraham, and that very covenant with Abraham is an expression of God's generous love. You see, his people, God's people, Israel, will have everything that they need and more as an act of God's provision and his generosity. All they need to do is trust him. But the Israelites, they entered that land of abundance and opportunity. That central location so the entire world could see God on display. God would be right there showing himself in his goodness and his generosity. They entered that land of abundance and they forgot about the generous God who gave it to them. They started acting like it wasn't enough. They acted like it was theirs and this led to war and self-destruction. But that doesn't change that God himself made a covenant and said this is my generosity on display. And even after they turned their back, he still showed his generosity with a commitment that he made to mankind. That covenant, but that day-to-day commitment to provide is an expression of God's generous love. All the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve didn't trust the generosity of God. They believed he was holding out on them. They believed that of all the things in the garden, that wasn't enough. And all it took was a little serpent to get them to think that maybe God wasn't so generous. Maybe God is holding out his best and we need to go and find it. And that is a lie. That is a lie from Satan himself. God is always generous. God is never holding back from you because he is filled with generous love and he is inclined to take care of you more than you could ever imagine. So his commitment to mankind was an expression of love. Abraham lied, took matters into his own hands, and God still provided for him, still blessed him because he's generous. God always responds with more patience and more guidance and more provision. The very fact that God himself deals with mankind at all is proof that he is generous. Now, this isn't to push you into wallowing that you are so miserable as a human, okay? You are a creation of God, You have purpose. You have intention. But sometimes we let that thought continue and we get arrogant and we get prideful and we say it's all about me. This is to redirect us to say that I can't bring the Lord anything of value. I have to lay down in front of him and say it is all because of Jesus that I'm alive. That is a generous God who deals with mankind at all. God alone is perfect. He is holy He's righteous. He is sovereign. He doesn't owe anyone anything. And so the fact that we see constantly that he is interacting with mankind is generous. The very fact that he is thinking about us is generous. There was another artist last night who has a song out that these lyrics just penetrated my heart and it got me thinking about this idea of generosity, so I'm including it this morning. Matthew West sang this last night. Who am I? That the king of the world would give one single thought about my broken heart. Who am I that the God of all grace wipes the tears from my face and says, Come as you are. Doesn't that sound like a generous God? Where you don't have to bring anything to him. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to wear something special. You come just as you are, with your arms wide open and say, this is all that I have. And God says, perfect. Because I'm generous and I give you my son so that you can have eternal life. That is a generous God. You see, the gift of Jesus that we read about in Scripture, that is promised from the beginning of mankind, what an expression of the generous love of God. Mankind repeatedly shows greed, lack of appreciation, lack of recognition to God as the supplier, but he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop showing his generous love. He doesn't just merely continue to provide for us. He doesn't just merely continue to watch over us, but he recognizes what we truly need. And he doesn't just say, here's some blessings that I'm going to throw your way. God himself is so generous that he himself came to earth to save you. God himself did that. He probably could have come up with something else. But no, he said, this takes me, God, as Jesus Christ, to come down to save mankind and to definitively say it is all because of God, I am generous, I am loving, I am kind, and guess what? You can't earn it. I'm just giving it to you as a gift. That is the God that we serve. He is so generous. He lived a life, Jesus did, of sacrifice and generosity, even towards his enemies. And he was able to do that because while he walked the earth, he was convinced of the idea that God was not holding out on him. That God was always supplying everything that he needed. Jesus didn't pursue his own thoughts of saying, I got to fight for myself. I have to come up with some sort of a solution on my own. He went to the Lord so frequently. He went to his father and he said, I need you. You are the one who does this, you are the one to make all of this possible. Jesus was convinced of that mindset. And so we see a life where he served, he loved his enemies. He taught others to trust in God's generosity as a complete conviction that God was enough. Jesus wasn't naive. He knew that scarcity existed. He knew that poverty existed. In fact, he lived it. But his mindset was still generous. His spirit spirit was still joyful because he trusted fully the God who sees, the God who provides, the God who supplies, the God who is generous. And we see that in his teachings, like in Luke, where he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor because God's going to take care of you. You don't need any of that stuff because God is the one who is generous. We see in Matthew where he even says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. Are you not of more value than them? Isn't God generous that the entire life of Jesus was never about self? And yet, he glorified the Father. He accomplished the plan of God. And the same is true about you. You don't need to pursue self. God has a plan for your life, and he is such a great supplier, and he blesses us with his generosity, his love, that you never have to think about pursuing self because God is the one who is pursuing you and providing everything that you need. We see proof of that in the life of Jesus. Jesus trusted that no matter the circumstance, God God was not holding out on him. But we get distracted, right? You always think, man, that's such an easy way to look at it. We get distracted. Scarcity or lacking tends to prompt us to question if there is enough or if God really is holding out on us. Sometimes we struggle to think, he probably isn't even going to provide for me. How in the world can I imagine that he's generous too? And we get distracted, But our definition of lacking or scarcity is in complete contradiction to the nature of God. He's generous. He's loving. He's sovereign. And when we operate with that definition of God, we thrive because we're part of his plan. When we operate with the other definition of God that he's holding out on us or that there's more that we deserve, then all of a sudden we start to justify our impulses like Abraham did where he had to go pursue someone that could carry on his descendants. We justify our impulses to serve self. We justify things that we say, I'm going to take care of me and mine before anyone else. Because after all, our definition of God is that we don't believe he will take care of us, so we need to do something about it. That's in direct contradiction to the nature of God as a generous, loving God filled with grace towards us. And we know that because Jesus went to the cross for us. And as the ultimate expression of generosity, he died for us. Never thinking of self, thinking of you, knowing that you couldn't do it on your own, The generosity of Jesus to say, I'm going to lay down my very life for mankind. The ultimate expression of God's generous love. Jesus' death turned death into life. Jesus' death turned scarcity into abundance. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by you, so that you by his poverty might become rich he uses the word rich it doesn't say so that by his poverty that wealth of jesus is spread Equally across mankind so it's diminished. No, our understanding is with limited resources that if someone won a $1.2 billion lottery and dispersed it across the world, we wouldn't see hardly anything. That's not how God works. God is an endless supply of generosity and riches. And so when you enter the family of God, you get the fullness of his lottery. The fullness of his riches. It's not diminished because the person next to you also believes. You each share in the fullness of a generous God who loves you and his heart is inclined to give you what you desire according to his riches. Jesus went to the cross and died as the ultimate expression of generosity. And so in in response to that, our lives are to be an expression of God's generous love. We have the opportunity moment by moment, to live generously, just like God is generous. Now, there's a difficulty, like I mentioned, because of scarcity and lacking and struggle. We, we encounter poverty. We see debt. But the power to live generously is not circumstantial. The power to live generously is because of yet another generous gift of God himself, and that's his spirit, the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit fills you. And he is the one who fleshes out the life of Christ from inside of you. It's not you. It's the life of Christ through his Holy Spirit. So when we recognize and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you're filled by him. You begin to realize that there is enough because he is the supplier and he never runs out and he isn't withholding from you. And because God is not withholding from you, God can be trusted with everything, even poverty, even debt, even the circumstances that are overwhelming. Those do not redefine or influence God at all. He is bigger than all of that. And in his huge nature that is an endless supply of whatever. He's generous to give it to you. And so we grow in that understanding. We understand that God is generous, and the more we understand that, the more we desire to be generous. And you might think, great, he's going to turn this into a tithing sermon. No, because generosity is so much bigger than that. Generosity is not an act that I'm going to tell you that you have to do. Generosity is a heart that understands that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you, the ultimate expression of generous love of God. And so in response to that, response to the Holy Spirit filling you and fleshing out generosity, you suddenly say, I get to be generous with my time, with my resources, I get to be generous with my attitude because my attitude is so full of joy for the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ that all these negative thoughts that I have and that person who wouldn't let me out of One Fest last night because they were so urgent to get out and the traffic was horrible, all of those attitudes that we might have, we can suddenly say, I'm so filled with joy, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to let all these other cars go through first. Because ultimately, what does it matter when Jesus Christ gave his life for you And yet we're so stuck on all these other things. As we grow in our understanding that the Holy Spirit fills us, we get to be generous with our attitude. We get to be generous with patience and love and kindness towards other people. We get to be generous with our forgiveness so there isn't an offense that we should take so seriously that we can't ever forgive because Jesus Christ forgave it all. And it wasn't just you he forgave. The collection of all sin, of all mankind, of all time, Jesus said, it is finished. It is forgiven. We get to be generous with our forgiveness. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, no matter what your past is, no matter what your present is, or whether you have been cold to hearing about Jesus up to this point, know this. He's generous. His arms are wide open for you to meet him today. He's not going to turn you away, He will not push you aside because someone else is coming. He is calling you today to come to the altar to recognize how generous is. Would you pray with me? Father God, what a powerful, powerful recognition it is to declare that you are generous. You are not holding out on us. You make your plan function. You take care of us. You supply every need that we have, but over and above that, with no obligation to do it, you pour out your blessings on us. Your grace overwhelms us because you are so so generous. Thank you that you accept us with open arms, that there is never a line of traffic waiting to get in. You are right there, readily available for each and every one of your children. If there is anyone here today that understands that only Jesus Christ can save, that today they recognize that it isn't because of their actions, it isn't because they've cleaned themselves up, it isn't because of any family history or legacy left behind, that they realize today they need the Savior, Jesus Christ, and it is purely a generous gift from God whose love overflows. If you are that person, would you get up from your seat? Would you take a stand today, not under the cover of darkness, not under the cover of a song, Would you be so bold to be filled right now, this moment, with the saving power of Jesus Christ that you will stand up and you will come right to the front and you will pray with me? If that's you, would you do that during this last song? And for the rest of you, would you celebrate that you get to come to the altar?